Hello and welcome to another Be Your Own Loud podcast presented by us here at Proudmouth. I'm Matt Halloran and Kirk Lowe is joining us as your co-hosts today. The show has a very simple foundation to meet amazing people who have risen above the noise and who are unapologetically themselves and finally who've embodied being their own loud. Using these interviews as inspiration, our purpose is to help you amplify your voice to become the subject matter authority you're meant to be. Now, it's interesting because our guest today, Charles Blackwell, had a really great point. I'm going to start off by, by saying this point that he brought up, which is it doesn't matter how loud you are if you don't have a clear message. And we're going to talk about that today. Charles uh, is the writer of corporate manifestos. He's been in advertising for 30 plus years, and he only now works for companies uh, that have a real mission that he feels connected with, and he knows that he can help. So here's the fun part of this, everybody, is he is not only going to talk to us about what the manifestos are, but he's also going to share one with us. How about Be your own loud. So Charles, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So as we get started, I ask the same question to everybody, just because I always think it's fun to find out a little bit about the road that you took to get to where you are today. Tell me in our audience and Kirk a little bit about these 30 years and and really what you did in the world of advertising. Oh, 30 years of misspent youth in advertising. I started in London as a as a boy, well, not as a boy, I don't know, I must have been, whatever, 18. I worked in New York for a time, went back to London, and then got headhunted for a, an agency in Toronto, which went wrong, and I ended up actually in Calgary, because I didn't have a job after all, and I met my wife in Calgary, and uh, the rest is history. But yes, I worked I worked on advertising for oh, just hundreds of clients over the years. I've done cinema, I've done TV, I've done radio, I've done direct mail, I've done print, um, magazine, whatever, you name it, I've done it. And billboards, obviously. And that went on for about 25 of those years. And then latterly, I've discovered a new love, which is this thing called corporate manifestos, which is sort of giving companies their, their sort of raison d'etre, their why. And I love it. I, I always thought I'd want to keep doing ads and winning awards. And that's where my sort of fulfillment came from. And that hasn't been the case. I actually get fulfilled when clients sort of, when I see them tear up if I've written something or they clap or it, something that really sort of touches them and then goes on to touch other people, gives me a lot of joy and gives me a lot of fulfillment. So even though I don't particularly have to work anymore, it's sort of, you could almost say semi-retired. I love doing this because it, it just... It gives me a sense. It gives it's my joy. Yeah. Charles, it's Kirk here. Hi, Kirk. It's uh, wonderful to have this chat with you today. We've had some really great chats, not while while not on the air, and I'm glad we finally get to do it here. I'm curious, and I'm sure listeners are, what was the the path to understanding that clear is more important than loud? Loud has its place, but if you don't have clear first, how did you get there? Well, it actually comes from a quote by Barry Neal Kaufman, who says, a clear voice is better than a loud voice, even if it's a whisper, because a lot of loud voices, it's really tough to be heard. But if you whisper a message and it's clear, it sort of comes from that quote, which I've completely butchered. I apologize. I've got it on my desktop on my Mac. You'd think I'd get that right, but I didn't. It, it, it's about having this, this clear voice, which, which forces you to examine what you're doing and what your own why is, and it gets everybody on board. And once people know their why, it's a lot easier than to disseminate it through whatever channel you want to, as loud as you want, but then you actually know you're not 
praying and spraying the thing everywhere and not really knowing what you're doing. And that's that's what I think of as a clear message is that is that feeling of just uh, as I say, companies don't lose their way; they lose their why. And getting to that why is what makes is is that clarity of what they do, and and that, that makes for a clear message. Yeah. Do Do you have any examples of? I, I want you to read a manifesto, but I'm curious before you do that. Do you have any clear examples of of companies that you feel really connected to because of their manifesto or or their purpose? Apple, I'm a little bit connected to. I've always been always been fairly keen on on their purpose. Charles just showed us his Apple tattoo on my arm. Actually, it's a funny story. When I got this tattoo, the first day I got it, I was gassing up my car and I went into the service station and the guy saw my Apple tattoo on my wrist and he turned around and pulled up his shirt and there was a giant Apple logo on his back. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I thought I was like one of the few people that would ever be stupid enough to do this. And there's the, anyway, long story. Yeah, I do feel very passionate about brands and they tend to be the ones that sort of connect with me and that do have a bit of a a higher purpose, a bit of a noble purpose. And that noble purpose thing has become quite popular. It's quite in vogue now for companies to to do all these things that sort of, sort of engender them to the, to their audiences. But I've, I've always felt that way that, you know, I'm more likely to do business with, with someone who is less transactional and more, as I also say, customers don't, don't, don't buy, they buy in. So I buy into their ethos, buy into the way they think and what they do as corporations. And Apple obviously has this absolutely in spades um, because they're getting to zero footprint carbon. They're very multicultural in the, in the way they hire and all those types of things. And I do prefer to do business with that. And they, those types of companies do tend to make, I find, better products and service their products better. It's sort of, it, it's, it's not just hippie, dippy in the sky stuff. It actually works. It actually does make for better things and a better planet in many, many ways. Does that yeah. answer it? Sorry, I forgot my question. Well, yeah. So it sounds like the purpose, the purpose drives the clarity and the clarity drives the, the cult brand and like the commitment to doing what they're doing and delivers better products. I, I believe so. Yes. As you mentioned, cult there, when I was in advertising, my last job in advertising was creative director at a company called cult that was all about sort of building a cult following for brands, for their brands. And that's sort of when I got really into the manifesto thing of this is where the, the rubber really hits the road. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember we do presentations that were like a hundred slides long and the client almost seemed to be dozing off in the first 90 slides. And then it goes to the manifesto and it's like, boom, okay, this is what it's about. That's the key thing. It's sort of where the rubber hits the road, right? Yeah. All the research yeah. kind of goes away. And- yeah. Well, people who are listening to the Be Your Own Loud podcast are probably realizing we have this incessant relationship with, with <laughs> cult because we have you know, Rob Howard who wrote the book with, with Chris and, and uh, Neeland and, and Ryan Gill who helped us build Proudmouth. He introduced us to you and you helped us build, build out the proud, the proud mouth language. Hmm. At some point today, I was hoping to maybe read a little bit of what you helped us do or have you do it. But I know that you've got a manifesto that we were going to get you to read of some of your work. And I'd, I'd love to, to hear that. I'm sure our listeners would just to get an idea. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about if there's like a template behind that, a template's probably making you cringe, but I'll think of a better word. <laughs> yeah, I think I know what you're getting at. And I can certainly sort of yeah. relay some of the stuff I go through mentally to, to, to get to these places. 
this uh, manifesto was for a company um, called Actia, which was a very large ISP, so a supplier of internet. They built this thing called the uh, the Axia Superhighway in Alberta, actually, and it, and it served all these rural communities, believing that everyone should have equal access to high-speed internet. And then they branched out, but Bell actually bought them out um, a couple of years after we, we did this. But anyway, I kind of like it because it is sort of that aspirational, inspirational thing of it. So let me just launch in. At Axia, we don't believe the internet is something that should ever be limited by speed or reliability or usage. It was created to be open to all. And now that it's more a part of the fabric of life than ever before, we believe everyone everywhere should have the right to choose the fastest, most reliable access with no limits. Only then can it radically improve their quality of life. Suddenly children can learn faster, families can stay closer, businesses can work and communicate more efficiently, Doctors can heal better, teachers can teach more immersively, and so on, in almost every field of human endeavor. Unfortunately, not all internet providers share our beliefs. So we must be crusaders for choice, campaigners for rights, entering every new town, not as marketers, but as revolutionary liberators of its citizens. After all, with gigabit fiber internet, we are allowing everyone to finally choose entertainment that's more entertaining social networks that are more social, games that are more fun, homes that are safer and smarter, businesses that are more competitive, and communities that are more attractive places to live and work. We're doing what others can't or won't in order to give people these fundamental freedoms. We're unshackling them from long contracts, high prices, and service bundles that are no longer relevant. We're freeing them from liability issues, data caps, and customer care that doesn't. We're liberating communities, making them better places to live, one town at a time, one connection at a time. We are Axia, improving lives at the speed of light. So that's Axia's. I want to jump in. Hold, hold on, Charles, because how do you... Okay, so you've written this beautifully eloquent, focused statement message. How do you recommend the companies use this? Is this internal? Is this external? Is this the foundation for everything for both? Can you break that down a little bit? I, I'm, I'm, By the way, that was brilliant, Charles. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you asked that, and thank you. I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning with a manifesto, really the audience is internal because if your people and your suppliers and and, and so forth and your stakeholders and shareholders and people aren't don't get on this bandwagon, don't understand the why, right? That's the most crucial audience. And then, but nine times out of ten, then it goes to more of a worldwide thing. And it's it's sort of a yardstick against which everything they do going forward can be judged. So it tends to it tends to have it informs strategy, development, HR practices, marketing initiatives, all those types of things. Because it is at the end of the day, it's their rallying cry, it's an anthem, it's their North Star, it's their touchstone. It's sort of like their constitution. If it was a country, it's their constitution. And that's it's the dent they're making in the universe really. And so it's a critically important document that I think informs everything else. And in terms of where it actually goes that you asked, I've, I've done these things and then walked into the corporate headquarters of the company I've done them for and seen, seen the manifesto in like a hundred point lettering in their, in their reception area, right? It's quite humbling because you walk in and you go, whoa, I wrote that. And also it goes in the about in their webpage. Sometimes it's actually the front page of their webpage and it goes 
into all kinds of things, proposals they make, and they'll use bits of it in speeches and stuff like that. But it is sort of that seminal document that is important for a lot of those other things. And then, yeah, later it, it informs sort of more. And sometimes they'll turn them into videos. They'll do what I call a vidfesto, which is we'll, we'll take the manifesto and do a video to it. And they'll also order festos, which are audio versions of it. It's, a, it's fairly flexible because you can use bits and pieces of it and sort of on an a la carte basis. And that line at the end, for instance, which is, improving lives at the speed of light, which talks to the gigabit internet, which is obviously light speed um, internet. They they took that and ran with it and all, it appeared in all their advertising and everything. So it's a very valuable document from, from that point of view. Yeah. When I think about what you just read, the first thing that comes to mind is how does any company move forward without a document like that? Well, <laughs> yes, I think... <laughs> They all uh, need a document like that. But yes, you're right. The reason they tend to need them is in the beginning of a company, you've got founders and normally you've got, it's the vision of one guy and it's very clear in everybody's head what the company's about and they go forward and it's not maybe as critical. But what happens over time is that they maybe lose sight of that, right? And, and, and the goal becomes obfuscated over time. It's more about pleasing shareholders or doing this and this and this. And people sort of forget what business they're in. They forget what their why is. So oftentimes it's not me making up the why. It's me finding out what that why is and putting it hopefully into something evocative and inspirational that will move people. But I'm, it's not my job to really create it. Normally companies have that. My job to find it and then communicate it. And, and that's what, as I say, companies don't lose the, the way they lose their why. Let's dive into how you help people realize that because Kirk and I went through this process with you. You, mm -hmm. you asked us all sorts of questions. And I remember when Kirk and I were going through it, we were like, wow, I never said it that way before, or I never really had that clarity of focus. And I know that you have to be fluid and there's a substantial amount of creativity that goes involved with this, but would you mind sharing just a little bit about how you help people pull this out of themselves or organizations? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there are different levels of clients. Some clients know a lot of kind of what they're about to start with, which makes it easy, or they've done research into what they do, makes it easy, easy, easy. Sometimes I have to interview all the stakeholders. Sometimes I have to fly somewhere and sit down with the board and find out more stuff. But really that beginning part is make like a sponge. So get as much information as I can, read their stuff, read their videos over the year, read their, what the, the founder's sort of initial goal was and that kind of thing, and really get to grips with it and then distill it. I mean, I am a copywriter by trade and copywriters in advertising really is all about distilling stuff down and making it accessible for more people. And hopefully looking at it in a less literal, more lateral thinking way and making it emotional and evocative. But really, yeah, the initial thing is it is wide open very little talking and just listening to what they say. And oftentimes you sit down with different stakeholders and you'll hear them say the same thing over and over again. Sometimes stakeholders, even members of the board will have completely opposing opinions on, on what the company is about. And that's always fascinating, right? And then you've got to sort of figure out, okay, what is the one? It always has to come down to one thing. It can't be, um, I mean, as they say, there are no, that you never see the statue of a committee in a park, right? It tends to be one guy and one vision. And we need to figure out, okay, what is that one thing? and then find out the why and then figure out the what's of what they do and where they do it and when they do it and that kind of thing. That's a separate, but this is really all about why. I'm going to give a really rough draft here of what I think are the, maybe the 
the spine or the outline for how one might unfold. And I'm curious how you react to this. I kind of feel like the most important thing is to define somebody's struggle, who and then what their struggle is, then the pain and the impact it makes. Then, then you you kind of talked about the better ways with your example, like what well, what is possible, like what could be possible, and then you painted a picture of how that changes somebody's life or business, the positive impact it could have, and then you and then you talked about having a choice, like, and I think that's one thing that I think people forget too often is that we have choices to 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 change the the journeys or the trajectories that we're on with with mm-hmm. with products or services or or ourselves. And then you talked about how easy it was to make that decision and then tied the whole thing back in. These are things that I don't think people independently have worked out. They have this and that here and there. But when you put this all together, it's like a symphony. I I can't imagine anybody not listening to the manifesto you read and not thinking, oh, my gosh, like, where is this company? Do I have access to them? Right. Well, that's that's the hope. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to your, to your initial point about the the, the 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 struggle. Yes, I do find that's a tremendous way to get into the manifesto is figure out who the villain is. What's the problem? Right. And I did one for a Christian university, actually called Ambrose University in Alberta. And that's how we set up. First paragraph was everything's wrong in the world. <laughs> It's gotten us to be a scary place, right? And it's because maybe young people don't have the values and stuff that that would make the world a better place. And then we come in as the hero to that villain and say, well, this is what we're doing. And we're, we're, get, we're instilling these values in people. We're making young people that really care more about their communities and the world and da 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 And then oftentimes it tends to be that. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. And then here's why we do this better than anywhere, anyone else. This is our secret source. So I tend to, oftentimes you'll see my manifestos in that last paragraph is that's why we do such and such. That's why we don't do such and such. And that's why, so there needs to be, that's why, that's why, that's why. And that's, that's our sort of secret. So that's the proof, if you will, of, of how we're doing it better and different, always on that solid foundation of this is the problem. So yeah, you're right. Everything you said, I think is sort of how I tend to approach them. I know that you told me this and I still have a hard time believing it, but I'm smiling as I say that, by the way. Is it true that you only undertake 10 manifestos a year? Yes, I I only do 10. And they are only for companies, as I think Matt alluded to earlier, that that I that I can really get excited about. I don't want to do retail manifestos for retail stores as much as unless they have this amazing. I want to do stuff that really is is helping companies that are sort of doing something in the world that is different and that is helping things in a, in, in a, in a, in a good and positive way, because, and just because I don't have to anymore, that, that's it's pure and simple. I don't have to. So I'd rather pick stuff that I really like. doesn't mean I don't charge. I still charge. I do just do the 10 and I've done four so far this year and I'll try and uh, do another six. And if I don't do another six, that's okay too. So does it really matter if they're big or small company? No, not at all. I've done, I've done, I've done a lot of manifestos over the last ten years, and I've done them for all all kinds of. I've done them for Zappos. I've done them for Home Depot. I've done them for Spec. I've done them for YYC, Calgary International Airport, and UCLA. I've done a lot of work for UCLA, UCLA Health, 
Checker Cabs, a lot of a lot of marijuana companies actually, Canopy Growth, those types of guys. So I've done a lot of really quite large companies, and then I've also done much smaller ones, and some that have no budget, and that I've done on a sort of a, a pro bono basis. And of course, Proudmouth. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty much an equal opportunity sort of, I, I, I love to write these things. It doesn't have to be a giant company at all. I've done some, I did one for the, I live on an island called Gabriola on the West Coast of Canada. And I did one for the Haven here, which is sort of a, a new age holistic sort of health spa type deal. And I did theirs and I did some, I did vision mission stuff for them. And then the manifesto on top of it, and it's great. I mean, it's it uh, is it's for credits at the at the spa, but still, it gives you a good sense of I'm really contributing to the community. Are you comfortable if I throw our manifesto on the screen for you to read? Absolutely. So I know uh, that to be fair, to be fair to you, Charles. Yeah. You wrote a bunch of of wonderful stuff for us. We didn't put it in a what you what what you might indicate as a, a final manifesto because we have. So what I did is I pulled some parts together and okay. I, I think created a flow. And that's kind of what I was describing because I had done that earlier today, just to, to, to throw this at you with no warning. I'm going to tee this up just a little bit more. So we went through this process with Charles and with Rob Howard. Charles ended up writing an, a substantial amount of copy for us. And this is what we use as our guiding principle here at Proudmouth. This is what we share with the team. This is what we talk about in our interviewing processes. This has been built into my sales process. Even the introduction to this podcast specifically is based off of, of what we have right here that, that Charles is looking at. So I want to give some perspective to what Matt, you just said substantial. It, it's actually it's substantial in the impact it makes on everything and how we communicate, but not a significant amount of copy. And I think that's really important to to a great brand is we don't we don't have to go on and on and make up new words because what our what our what what Rob and Charles have really taught us is we need to stick to certain phrases and certain words and situations where we use and and we've been given that 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 those guidelines in a, in a brand doc this is how i pulled it together i think based on what some things different things that charles has done for us and i kind of put them into one we haven't actually asked charles to finish this as a manifesto but we have talked about that in the near future in the in the recent past it's tough for experts to be seen as experts when they have to spend so much of their time as salespeople. Generally these days, people know better than to take advice from those obsessed with trying to tr sell them something. Fortunately, in the last decade, new and magical ways to get noticed in ways that attract more ideal relationships have emerged. Techniques that allow experts to become trusted authorities in what they do rather than transactional salespeople. Proudmouth has pioneered and honed these techniques to enable these experts to claim their rightful positions in the world and be their own loud in formats and vehicles that command respect and nurture ideal relationships. Proudmouth is in the business of liberating the world's experts from the torment of sales, allowing them to get back to their passion and profitability. We help them transform themselves into authorities in their fields the kind of experts who are actively sought out by clients. We do this by leaving traditional lead generation tools where they belong in the past. Through professionally produced podcasts and a host of social strategies, 
we give them a louder, more focused, always-on voice that invariably positions them as the go-to gurus. Our purpose at Proudmouth is to liberate the world's experts from the torment of sales, allowing them to get back to their passion and profitability. Stop the selling cycle insanity, become the trusted authority you're supposed to be, be your own loud. Thank you. I realize there is a little bit of redundancy there, but people always have to remember redundancy is usually pretty good in marketing. It's a good idea, a little bit. Most people and most marketers really struggle to get here with somebody. And so I, I hope that people listening here understand that they need to go find somebody special like Charles to, to take their brand and their purpose and their why to another level. And if you don't have a why, or if you don't have that purpose, in other words, if you hired, if you were to hire Charles or somebody like Charles, and I don't know that there's a lot of people like you, Charles, but people who know you, by the way, they talk about you like you're like the, like a God of doing this, by the way. And that's, 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 and they have no reason to say that they just stop me in my tracks. Oh, Charles. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he's the guy, he's the person for this. If you don't have that purpose, or you don't think Charles could write that about you, then you've got other things to think about in your company, right? And uh, who are you going to be? Why are you that person? Where, where can you be special? Because I think it's really difficult to stand out first and foremost, if you can't be clear about that and draw people in. People want to be drawn in these days. It's not, it's changing and it's evolving to a point where people really want to work with people they really care about and feel associated with their purpose and all that kind of stuff. So Lots of things to think of. Any other questions, Matt, that you have? Yeah, there's like 8 million of them. But luckily, I think really where we need to go is we need to go to this, which is, Charles, you have six more to do this year, right? I'd love to think that this podcast might be able to have somebody or, or prime the pump for somebody to realize that, man, this is exactly what I've been looking for, for my company, or just like Kirk said, I just need somebody to ask me these questions and pull it out. What is the best way for people to reach out to you if they would like to go ahead and, and give you a, a, a shot at this? Absolutely. Well, I'm pretty old school. I don't do uh, marketing. I, I sort of have a LinkedIn presence, but I'm not, I get all my business really through word of mouth. Like you just said, Kirk, it's people talking to people and, and that's how it tends to happen. But the best way to reach me really is just to drop me an email, which is pretty easy. It's charlesblackwell at mac.com at mac.com. That's the best way to reach me or even call me at 403-615-5516. Either of those will, will work pretty well. But yeah, I haven't really needed so far to, to, to put, put together a website or anything like that. So it's, it is kind of old school, but there you go. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with old school. Kirk, do you have any closing thoughts? I'm curious if you have a, free, a favorite Apple not the computer, not the computer Apple. What, what favorite, what's your favorite Apple? I like the crunchy ones and I never know. I go to the store and I'm like, Oh, which is it? I eat different kinds. Is it Baylor? Is it Macintosh? Is it, I know it's one of those. It's the ones that are, are crunchy. And sometimes I'll buy one of each and at least know I'm going to have one really good crunchy monkey. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the others are kind of uh, mushy and I hate that. So I'm sorry. I'm not, I can't give you a more defined, I think it's maybe Macintosh. I don't know what it is. Um, it, it, has, it just, the story, it has to be macintosh i mean come on yeah i mean maybe it obviously is yeah what am i saying it's funny how i for i i for you forget or people forget that 
when Apple came out, that was associated with, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, there's a long, oh, there's a long story there. Lots of, lots of good stuff around the, the birth of the Mac. But uh, yeah, no, it's a wonderful company. And the apples are good too. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah. For me, for me, it's Cortland, by the way. Oh, okay. I'm a big Fuji guy myself. Fuji apples are the ones I like because they're they're crunchy and tart. Fuji, yes, that's good. Yeah, they're fairly tart too. And I love cider. I love apple cider, but I tend oh. to go, go to the fruit forward ones, right? I'm more fruit yeah. forward than you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Charles, Kirk, thank you very much for both of you being on the show and asking awesome great questions and answering some great questions. And I think we're going to go ahead and get it wrapped up. Is that good? That's good. Thank you so much again. Been a pleasure. Always. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. We hope you learned something that will help you be your own loud and rise above the noise in your vertical of expertise at Proudmouth. We help you sell less and advise more by amplifying your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down, just like Charles said at the beginning of the podcast, instead of you having to chase them down. When people opt into your thought leadership, the sales process changes from hard selling to people buying from you. Isn't that what we all want? And that is exactly what we want. If you want to know more about how our process works, please Please visit us at proudmouth.com or join our free online academy at influenceacceleratoracademy.com. For Kirk Lowe, for Charles, and for all of us here at Proudmouth, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to Be Your Own Loud, where we reverse engineer success to help you accelerate your influence and break free from the torment of sales. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to our podcast, share with others in your company or profession, follow us on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. Visit us at Proudmouth.com and join our Influence Accelerator Academy for free to enhance your marketing mindset and know-how.